Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, here with Aaron Keller, as usual. And today, we are lucky enough to be joined by Upchuckers, Travis Warren. And if you listen to that podcast, then you know Terry Owens, or I think you said Alaskan Terry is your nickname. That is the <laughs> Oh, I said Alaskan Travis Terry yeah. nickname. <laughs> and then we have Matt Harding. Did I say that right? It's Matt Harding. English spelling Harding. 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 Yep. Yeah, it's an interesting spelling to that. Silent E. He's exotic. Yeah, you're very <laughs> exotic. So what is your nickname then? I don't know. You can't give yourself a nickname. <laughs> it's got to be given to you. <laughs> Travis, what's his nickname? <laughs> I call him Maddie. But then Maddie. every Matt that I know, I call Maddie. So right. I don't know if that's technically a nickname or I've not. I've got to earn a new one. <laughs> yeah, maybe after this podcast, we'll have a nickname for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all for being here. And if you've been following Endow or even Upchucker on Facebook and Instagram, you've seen we've been doing some cross promotion this week. Travis, yes. you took over Instagram. Thank you yeah, very much. Yeah, that was much. pretty cool. Thanks for uh, letting me do that. A great opportunity to kind of share about my passion and really try and uh, get everybody really excited about just checking out Nevada. I know that's the goal here is just to get people out there enjoying the outdoors, whether it's hunting or whatever it may be. Yeah. We just want people to get outside. So that is pretty cool. I mean, I, I didn't grow up here, so I moved here in 2001. Oh, I didn't realize that no. either. Yeah. So I'm not native Nevadan. I married a native Nevadan. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I guess by default, I've been here long enough. I guess I can yeah, tell myself that. Yeah, a pretty long time. But, you know, I've lived a lot of different places. I've lived in... I've lived in England, um, I've lived in Washington, California, and I can tell you that Nevada is a really special state, and a state that I don't think I'll ever leave. You know, I can't imagine, I mean, I raised my family here, and it's it has such a diversity in terms of whatever you want to do. I mean, it's, if you're located in Reno, like we are, you can go, you know, right up to Tahoe and enjoy just world-class skiing, just beautiful vistas you can go all the way out to the garbage wilderness to great basin national park you can drive to vegas if you want to i mean there's so it's there's so much to do here and there's so much public land mm-hmm. that you don't there have really to ask permission if you, you see just the go maps of nevada we love going to conferences mm-hmm. in other state or in other states or expos yeah. we always show our public lands map like look at this yeah what's like 87 so percent I think yeah. is, is public yeah, land. Yeah, just under 90%. Yeah, yeah. That's ridiculous. Like, you don't have to ask permission to anybody. You go, you literally could close your eyes, like, point on a map and say, I want to go there today. And you, it's probably going to be public land. And you just go. Yeah. I got buddies that come to town and, and, you know, we'll go do stuff. And they're like, where should we head? And I'm like, I don't, just, let's just drive for a little while and then we'll turn, turn left. And we're <laughs> yeah, just, right. they're like, you can just go. And yeah. yeah. They're like, well, that, it's gated. You know, we pull up to the yeah. gate, and you're like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. Just yeah. keep the cows off exactly. the highway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the only reason the gate's there. Exactly. But. So clearly, you're passionate about Nevada, and you've mm-hmm. turned that into this project, I mm-hmm. guess you could say, this podcast you do, which is awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I started the Upchecker podcast really as a way to kind of get back. Um, I didn't start, I didn't grow up hunting at all. Uh, I actually got into hunting because I met my wife. 
and I on upchecker.com, my blog, I've actually I wrote a story about it called I Started Hunting for the Wrong Reason. And really, my wife's dad, he raised chucker and pheasant. I mean, he, he was big into chucker hunting in his younger so years. So you were trying to impress him? Uh, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. I just wanted the guy to like me because I, yeah. I wanted to marry his daughter. Right. So I, th- that's all he does is hunts and fishes. And so I had to learn, and I had to figure some stuff out. And, you know, inadvertently just through that exposure and meeting my own friends, uh, you know, I, it became a passion of mine, something that – you know, for me, getting into it late in life as well, I didn't really have much of a, there wasn't much of a mentorship. I didn't grow up in it, so I had to learn a lot. And I devoured YouTube videos, different blogs, you know, anything I could find on chucker hunting and uh, big game hunting and everything like that. And so, you know, for me in my journey, I got to a point where, you know, I felt like I could provide a platform to provide some more content, to give back to that community that I took so much from. Yeah. And hopefully what it will what it does for people is it provides a you know an opportunity to learn if you're interested and you want to get into it uh, a way a way to start because there's a lot of anxieties for people who want to get into hunting but there's it's just there's there's barriers. And so you know just f- giving them an, a way to maybe learn a little bit more about what it is they're interested in or potentially interested in so that you know they they can feel like they're more empowered and, and educated to to do this it. This gives me hope because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the non-hunter of the building, so yeah. I get crap. Well, and and guys like you, I admire. You know, I I watch uh, like YouTube videos, mm-hmm. and where the first five seconds or ten seconds are like, I started looking around on YouTube for whatever it is, and I didn't find any videos, so I decided to make one. That takes a lot of like. Yeah. You got to be original to come up with the content and clip yeah. it together to where somebody's going to watch it. And trucker hunting is kind of like that. There's not a whole lot of trucker hunting stuff on YouTube or on the internet, I guess. No, you know, I was talking with a, I was interviewing an individual on my podcast and he said that there's like only like about a hundred thousand trucker hunters. So it's a niche market, right? Mm-hmm. So you talk about marketing, all those things in general, the people who do it are vastly passionate people as you can tell from the way i talk about it just vastly passionate people um but it's not for everybody and i've taken people for their first time and they never come back they're like no not for me (laughs) not for them Mm -hmm. and and it's okay and i think that that's one of those things with checker hunting and people is that because we know how hard it is and what you have to do to even just harvest one bird there's this camaraderie this instant camaraderie that people build within that that community that is really special and you know that was also something that i really wanted to kind of uh, i think showcase a little bit more was just really the the tight-knit community the passion that people have for doing something like this uh chasing chucker and who doesn't like dogs i mean come on everyone likes dogs There's yeah we no once way. a week we require dogs to come into the office That's <laughs> That's <laughs> it makes everyone better kids and dogs yeah <laughs> it makes yep. everything better. and so camaraderie how did I mean, we got some other fellows in the room. How do we, how'd you guys all meet? Like, there's pretty interesting stories. I, I guess I'll start because that's the chronological order. Um, <laughs> it works. <laughs> so I was filling a mule deer tag in the Jarbage Wilderness in, was that 2016 season? It was two years ago. Um, and I ended up filling my tag opening morning. And Travis had set up his spike camp where I had scouted back in July to set up my spike camp. Yeah. <laughs> so we had bumped into each other uh, prior to the season opening. And I uh, <clears throat> I filled my tag early and 
kind of was a little bummed about it because I wanted to keep hunting and it was a little anticlimactic for me. So <laughs> I bumped into Travis again and was like, hey, well, you guys still have, uh, I think you had a couple deer tags and a couple elk tags or something. I can't remember exactly what the configuration yeah, well, was. Well, uh, we, we at least had a, well, we had a, we had a cow elk tag and a mule deer tag. So Travis, one of Travis's friends and myself ended up hiking um, about a day into the Jarbage Wilderness and making the possibly not so great decision for the three of us to sleep in my two-man tarp yeah nice yeah (laughs) we've known this guy two days yeah now you're friends i I literally couldn't (laughs) remember their names (laughs) (laughs) and uh we came out of that friends instead of enemies so it's true yeah no absolutely and i mean if you can meet somebody in two days and you're sleeping in a tarp <laughs> literally touching each other with your <laughs> sleeping bags yeah. and you still like each other it's a friendship for life yeah, yeah. it really is that's and great story and yeah you I mean guys <laughs> seem like lifelong <laughs> friends like i was actually surprised that wasn't like oh you yeah guys weren't old high school buddies or oh you know. my wife thinks it's hilarious because i bring just random buddies over and you're like how'd you meet this <laughs> person on instagram <laughs> how'd you meet this person i met him out right. in the middle yeah. of the garbage wilderness you know and my wife's very tolerant, but I think she's used to it growing up in that sort of environment where, you know, hunting buddies were always around. And, right. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Terry's one of my best friends now and a huge part of uh, just my life and my family's life. And, you know, it's yeah. it's it's pretty cool to have uh, – it's pretty cool to have friends like that that, you know, are reliable, uh, you know, both in just regular everyday life and reliable in the mountains. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the thing with Terry. And we call him – I call him affectionately Alaskan Terry because he's from Alaska. But Terry is like, would prefer to live in the wilderness <laughs> than in society. Right. So you were solo though when you guys when you were doing your hunting. Yeah, you were by yourself. Well, I had I had my girlfriend's uncle with me. Oh, okay. To help me handle that deer, and then he was leaving. I, I had planned to be yeah. out there for my entire season, which yeah. was like twenty days or something. Um, he was going to meet up with me for a couple of days in the beginning, just because he hadn't been out hunting in a long time. Yeah. But um, that's. Typically, I like to hunt alone because I mm. kind of like to work at my own speed and not have to make agreements <laughs> with other people. But <laughs> Travis right. and um, the uh, the group of people that I've met through Travis have all we've all been on kind of the same page, and I think that's uh, that's kind of a cool thing about that kind of hunting is you will push yourself to your very close to your physical limit, like you're you're kind of flirting with finding that breaking point, and I think when you're doing that with the right people, you tend to build really strong relationships that way. Cause you see people at their strongest and their weakest oh, sure. and yeah. um, you accomplish things together yeah. that you yeah, didn't absolutely. think were possible prior to that. So, yeah. so Matt, when, so did you sleep under a tarp with Travis the first time you <laughs> met him? Not that easy. Uh. <laughs> it was a little, you played a little more hard to get. Yeah. <laughs> he brought his own tent. <laughs> How do you factor into this whole group of, uh, so I guess about probably over a year ago now, I was speaking with the guys at Project Upland and uh, I pitched them the idea of doing a movie um, on chasing the snowcock. And in my my research on on this bird, because obviously, you know, like Chucker, there's barely anything online to read about it. And um, uh, it, it made me start to reach out to people and somebody suggested I, I reach out to Travis and see if he knew anything. And Travis said that he knew absolutely nothing about it, but he <laughs> wanted to do it. And um, so we just kept talking about it and we decided that we were going to go at it together and 
um, you know, we've since become good friends, and uh, Terry came along, and you know, it was, it was a good team in the end. Yeah. Nice. And that's something we want to get into. I mean, at first we thought that was going to be the entire podcast is this Himalayan right. snowcock hunt. So we will get into that right after this quick break. You're listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today, we're joined by the Up Trucker crew, I guess you could say, because we have the host, Travis Warren, and his two guests. And I don't know if I could be considered the leader of the pack, that's for sure. <laughs> like we'll, we'll go with it for now. <laughs> By default. <laughs> You're the loudest. <laughs> so yeah, well, if that's how we're judging it, yes. <laughs> so we also have Terry Owens and Matt Hardridge. Did I say your name right? No, you, God, I, you, it is Matt Hardridge. Harding, Harding. You're looking for a nickname, I found it. I can't uh, read. It's uh, me. It's the way I read it on my post-it. I have a post-it note with their names right. <laughs> in front of me. Sorry, Matt. Let's re-say this. Just call Matt him Matt. Hardy. Let's call him Maddie. Isn't that his nickname? Call him Maddie. Maddie. Yeah. So, like it either. <laughs> so right before the break, we were talking about how the three of you became lifelong friends in this hunt that you guys wanted to embark on together. So could we just pick up with how did this hunt all come about? Uh, well... In was the middle of July, I think mm-hmm. we. This is actually, I think this is my first time meeting Matt. Um, we all met out in Lamoille Canyon, and proceeded to scout some areas that we had read about. Um, we found a lot of water in July mm. that we did not find during hunting season. Yes, that's something I would caution people about <laughs> if they were mm-hmm. planning on uh, trying to repeat our endeavor. Is the water availability for your own sake is very limited in September. Um, probably does have an impact on the birds too, but oh, I, without, without a doubt, I <coughs> for mean, sure, you start seeing. I mean, we saw that within a month and a half period of time. The just the green up was already dying off. There, I mean, there was a ton of flowers. I mean, it was talk about if you if you've ever seen the movie The Sound of Music. I mean, going through some of those meadows up there was literally like going through like The Sound of Music in like the Swiss Alps. I mean, it was it was just amazing. It really was fantastic. But yeah, the water situation changes a lot. A lot of that free water, you know, the free water is, you know, really regulated to where it is year round and those areas that do get the the melt and mm-hmm. then the accumulation of melt, um, right. they just dry up and it happens pretty quick. Yeah, yep. it's it's warm up there in July. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were we found some snow fields up there at that point in time which is it was I think pushing 100 degrees out, so it was kind of appreciated on our part. Right. Um we found some areas that we were not interested in hunting. Mm-hmm. We found birds in a few different places, kind of got an idea of how close or how far <laughs> we were going to be able to be from them cuz right. I think we flushed some at 6 or 700 yards or so. I mean it was yeah, but it, you guys did see birds. Oh the, yeah, the first time you went up there, couple yeah. of a couple, a couple different groups. Um, so we saw some that just fly. We were Matt's climbing background. We were asking him if they were even accessible with ropes or anything because they were just in such remote territory on top of cliffs. And um, so yeah, we 
we kind of got a feel for the area <laughs> and what areas weren't going to be productive um, for, you know, like practical reasons, actually getting right. in and out of. Um, and then we went back in for the opener. And uh, I'll, I'll let somebody else take over at that point. Matt. <laughs> yes, we Harding. <laughs> Thanks for getting it right. <laughs> yes, we went back for uh, for the opener. We we got there a day early. Um, we decided that we were going to go up there and set up camp and, and scout carefully. Um, and I say carefully because if you go up there and you scout and you spook a bird, it's going to fly across the canyon and probably won't be back for you know a few days, a week, who knows. So um, we actually did do that. We we kicked up a bird very close to where we camped and never saw that again. So, um, yeah, wor word of caution to people. Um, touching on Terry's point, the place where we camped had a great supply of water when we were there scouting, and the water had dried up to a muddy puddle <laughs> fu full of bugs. <laughs> yeah. Um, like literally millions of bugs that would then get stuck in a water filter All and... Right. Um, it made for some interesting drinking. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, protein. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, we went up there uh, the day it opened. The night before, another group came, and um, and they camped pretty close to us. So we went over to speak to them, and um, you know you hear horror stories all the time about hunters getting territorial and um, you know not being respectful and. Uh, these guys that we met were quite the opposite. Uh, they had actually been going up there for several years before to the same spot. So technically we were encroaching on what would be, you know, quote unquote their spot. <laughs> um, but they, they said, Hey, you guys were here first. Uh, you know, what's your plan? Uh, you know, we'll let you guys choose which direction you want to go and we'll go the other way. Mm. Um, so th that was very cool to meet people like that, that are, are respectful. You know, it's public land. It is everyone's. You don't have to, you know, be courteous like that, but it's very refreshing when you meet people who who are like that. Um, so, yeah, basically the first day, both groups got skunked. Um, we came back. I, I think we saw, like, what, one bird? Or, or no, we saw a couple. We saw oh, one. fantastic. Yeah, we <laughs> saw that one. I mean, and we've talked about it before in the podcast, but, I mean, this bird, we were way up at almost – 11,000 feet, and we we're going across this ridge, and we see this snowcock waddle out onto this precipice, like thousands of foot drop below it, and it just starts announcing to the world that it was there. And it was just like a sole bird, and it was, it, it was quintessential. If you YouTube Himalayan snowcock, you will actually, you know, a lot of it will be them calling, and it's exactly what you, we saw in the videos, <laughs> and it was fantastic. And I mean... You know, the great thing was we had we had our cameraman up there, uh, Will Sensing, who this uh, – I mean, we, we took him up there, and he was an absolute – he was able to keep up with us and get some great shots, and to be able to see that and film that uh, was pretty magnificent. I mean, a lot of things for us, we knew when we went up there, we were like, well, we probably aren't going to get a bird. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, <coughs> just the, the, the odds were against us. They're just incredibly resilient, incredibly elusive birds. And then there's the, f the physical limitations of just being up there. And that bird was just doing its thing, and that's when Matt kind of decided, I'm going to test out my mountaineering and rock climbing skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think for my wife's sake, um, I'm lucky that 
that wasn't put in the movie. Yeah. It was a little scary. <laughs> you wouldn't have liked that. Yeah, I, I was pretty confident I could get down and get a shot at this bird. And I, I spent a good 40 minutes getting down to getting to the point where I could get a shot at it. I got in the perfect position and the bird just vanished. Uh, nobody knew. These guys were watching oh. it from the other side and I came down. I literally got about 20 feet away from where it should have been and just totally disappeared. All that for bird. losing yeah. the bird. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Well, you know, when you get up there, I think you just, you you have, if you want to be successful, you got to be committed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if you're going to make the effort to go up there and be up there and live up there for however long you decide to do that, I think you're probably a committed person anyways. And it, it's just a matter of you have to make smart decisions because it is not a situation where if you hurt yourself, you just walk down to a medic camp and they take care of you. I mean, you are between 9,500 and 11,000 feet up there. You're in areas that a lot of people can't really get to. Um, and not to mention you have so a multi-hour hike out and then you've got to drive into Elko to even get medical attention. Mm-hmm. So you got you got to be smart. I mean, you really do. And you have to understand your own physical limitations and know physically like where you're at. You know, if you haven't done the physical requirements, it's not might not be safe to go up there. And that's not a dig on anybody. It's just, hey, you know. It's the reality. Think about your, I mean, you have to think about risk versus reward. And at the end of the day, you're probably more, way more important to your family than getting a bird, you exactly. know. So um, so that was day two then? So nothing on day two? But you guys were determined. Yeah, nothing on day <laughs> two. Um, you know, we got, got kind of close to birds. Yeah. We saw some. Uh, we hadn't seen as many as we saw when we were scouting, which could be water related um and then the following day we switched directions with the other group and we shared information that we we had both gathered from where we came from um so we found a pretty pretty good looking roost that we thought might have birds there so we told them exactly where it was and you know they they told us what they had seen and and heard on the other side so we just switched switched directions and um then we were walking uh, we were several miles in. Uh, it was still early. We we left in, in the darkness that morning just to cover ground to get to the huntable area earlier. Um, and I went down pretty low into the canyon um, because th- there was running water down there. And uh, we had seen some birds very early on fly into the canyon, and we didn't see where they went. So I went down low, assuming that they were going down to water, and these guys stayed up a bit higher. And then as I'm down at the bottom, I see some birds fly over a group of trees that these guys were, were actually sitting in. And, um, and then I saw where they landed. So I had to run, you know, a thousand feet up, up this hill to go meet up with these guys. And, um, and then once I got there, I, I told them that I saw the birds and they went just, just beyond where they were standing. And we kind of came up with a quick plan to split up and go look for them. And, um, we split up, and then these guys found the birds uh, pretty quickly, actually. It was mm-hmm. only about 10 minutes or so, and they both got birds, and, you know, the trip was, was a success. And, you know, we said at the beginning of the trip, you know, seeing a bird would be a success. It would be a huge success if somebody gets one. These two In got one, boat. so it, it was, it was pretty amazing. And then as we're sitting there, you know, kind of reveling in our glory, <laughs> we we hear another bird calling oh all the way up on the on this ridge line. So 
I basically threw down everything, took a big gulp of water and went up there with a photographer to, to try and find that lone bird. And it ended up being like, you know, what you'd expect of a snowcock hunt. It was a real like slow moving stalk. Uh, I was working this ridge line. There was like a thousand foot drop on one side. And then the other side kind of went down to where these guys were. So they're kind of looking up at me, watching me kind of creep along this ridge line. And every time I, I get to a big boulder, I, I kind of peek my head over expecting the bird to be there. And, you know, every time I did that, the bird wasn't there. So I kept having to do it over and over. And it kind of got the blood pumping quite a bit. And I ended up getting about uh, 15 feet away from the bird when I shot at it. And uh, luckily it, it landed right on the edge of the cliff and I didn't lose a bird. And yeah. This is nuts <laughs> yeah. like, to have such a success story. That's so cool. It, and especially to do it in two separate times. Yeah. I mean, that, that's pretty special too. And you, so you guys were like score, like the two of you already had yours. And then for that to happen, like, even did you just scream? It, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, it was pretty crazy. I mean, yeah. I was, I was shaking the whole, whole yeah. way up that imagine. ridge line. Yeah. I mean, I could hear the bird calling and talking and trying, trying to regroup with, mm -hmm. with his friends. And, uh, um, you know, that just got the blood pumping and, and the fact that I kept having to peek over a boulder and not see one and just expect it to be there right. every time. And that happened 20, 20 or so times. And <laughs> yeah. I've got the, the photographer trailing me and, you know, we've got to be pretty quiet. If that bird jumps and flies off the cliff, you know, I can't shoot it because it's yeah. going to drop down a thousand feet and the bird will get destroyed and I might not be able to right. pick you might it not up. Find so, it. Yeah. so my only chance of, of harvesting this bird was to shoot it before it jumped. Right. And, um, yeah. that was one of the parts of the, the video that I could relate to, I guess. And so anybody that's listening that hasn't yeah. watched the video, you need to watch this video. It gave me chills. It's so well done. It and well can done. you tell us yeah, about really it and cool. where people could go to watch it? Yeah. So the pro the project upland, which is a, I mean, if you're on social media and you're into bird hunting project upland is really at the forefront of content for anything upland. Fantastic. And they had they cre they created the film with the uh, you know videographer uh, filmer uh, photographer Will, Will Sensing and it is it was published through a co another company called Be Alive and so it's on YouTube and right. if you just if you just type in Himalayan snowcock hunting into the search bar on YouTube it's the first video that comes up and you'll see Matt you know triumphantly holding a bird up in the air as the as the the the, the first image you see and um. Yeah, I mean, I've probably watched that film myself uh, 20 plus times, and <laughs> I, I still get the same emotions. It, it, they did a fantastic job capturing the, the the difficulty of the task and the emotions involved and the ethics involved mm -hmm. as well. And Matt touched on that. Mm -hmm. You know, there people talk about ground, you know, ground sluicing or you know, ground and pound birds and stuff like that. Especially when you talk about chucker hunting, right. you know, and there there is some feelings that you know you should always wait and allow a bird to. Uh, to to fly before you shoot it to give it a sporting chance, but in this regard with the with the snowcock, you look at the ethics involved and like Matt already explained, if you shoot a bird who's already you know off of a cliff and there's a thousand foot drop down there and you shoot it and you hit it and it dies and you can't retrieve it, where are the ethics in that? Yeah, I mean, so in this regard, we knew that getting a ground shot was going to be the best uh, the best opportunity for us to successfully harvest a bird and to and to really do it in the right way. And so, and that's how we all did it. 
Yeah. I wish that we could talk all day about this, but unfortunately <laughs> we only have a few minutes left. So no everyone definitely check out that video. And then again, check out Upchucker. Do you want to tell people you where to go? Me, you want me to plug? <laughs> yeah. 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 So I have my blog and the video is actually on the blog as well. So if you just want to go to upchucker.com, you can actually, it, it has the YouTube link on there. So you can, it's just right down the front page. Uh, and it's a blog, so I write about all of my hunting adventures, a lot of bird stuff. You can hear these guys as you guests can hear these on the guys. podcast. My podcast is on there as well, or on iTunes and SoundCloud, uh, the Upchecker podcast. I'm on Instagram as Upchecker. You might as well go ahead and subscribe to both Nevada Wild mm. and Upchecker while yeah. you're on there. And thank you guys so much for being yeah, here. Thanks, this is a guys. great podcast. Yeah. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.